Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. You know, I was thinking uh, about a story after that about how great it is to be able to worship God. And it was about this Muslim who just recently became a Christian. And well, he went back to his friends and uh, his Islamic friends and they asked him, well, you know, why, why did you do such a thing? Why did you accept Jesus as your savior? You know, what could possibly cause you to leave everything that you grew up with, everything you lived and learned and the faith of your fathers. And then you all of a sudden turn to Jesus. Jesus Christ. And that Muslim replied like this. He said, well, suppose you were going down the road one day and suddenly a for- it forked into two different directions and you didn't know which way to go. But there at the fork were two different men, one on one side and one on the other. But one was dead and one was alive. Which one are you going to ask to show you the way? That's a, that's a true statement, isn't it? Amen? I want the person who's alive to tell me where to go. You know, that, that's the reason why we, us as Christ followers, are so pumped up to be able to give God all the glory. And I hope you feel like that when you come here on Sunday mornings. When you worship our God, whether it's in church or outside of church, I feel so pumped up to be able to know that I get a chance to worship God. You know, we're not following advice of any dead man that's out there because Jesus is alive. Amen. You know, you got Jesus. He not only brought us vital, eternal, spiritual truth. He not only fed the hungry. He not only healed the sick. He helped people make positive changes in their lives. But he did something that no other religious teacher, no other person, no other leader has ever been able to do. And that was he conquered death. And he literally, not figuratively, he literally rose again. Amen? Amen. I know that sounds like an Easter sermon, but I don't care. I celebrate Easter every Sunday. And so when we start to stand in those forks of the road in our own lives, I pray that you have the same confidence I do, and that is we're able to look at Jesus Christ because he is our perfect guide. You know, we're in a series uh, called Am I Living a Life That Matters? And in this series, it's all based on the writings of one of Jesus' closest friends, the Apostle John. And John wrote this letter to the first century church. And he did that because he wanted to be able to help them to know how to live a life that matters. And so today we're in 1 John chapter 4, and I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles there. 1 John chapter 4. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, go ahead and turn to page 1867, 1867. And we're going to look at the whole chapter. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love hearing that. Amen. Verse, Verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God, excuse me, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God from whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you so much once again for today and the glory that you shine upon us. Father, we don't give you the glory. We just reflect your glory onto others. And we thank you for the blessings that you bestow. So, Father, I also, I, I also thank you that you've given us your, made, your biggest blessing in Jesus Christ to be able to come down and die for our sins, to die to cover our sins with his blood, but to also reunite us with yourself through his resurrection. And thank you for giving us a God that is alive 
and not some teacher who is no longer alive. Father, I thank you for that. But thank you for continuing to live in us through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, use the Holy Spirit that's within us to teach us, to give us your wisdom, to guide us in what we learn today. Not just for this one hour that we get to spend with you together, but in our days that follow. Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' perfect and holy name that we pray. Amen. And amen. You know, we read this scripture and 20 centuries have come and gone and we still wrestle with the same exact needs as these people that we read about in the first century. See, just like these people that we read about, the the menu that we have to be able to choose our path of spirituality is extremely long. There's a laundry list of different things that we can believe when it comes comes to spirituality. And it offers us many different choices. So we come to this crossroads, so to speak, and we have a question that we need to ask ourselves. Which path are we going to take? Who are we going to listen to when we have to find our way in life? Well, I believe that the Apostle John shares an essential insight to that question. Look again at the first two verses, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I, I don't know if you're writing your Bibles, but I want to encourage you to do so, okay? Take your pen out, take your highlighter, your pencil, whatever you use. Take it out right now and go back to verse 1 and where it says test, where it says but test the spirits. I want you to highlight, circle, underline, whatever you do. I want you to do that to that word tests. That's so important today. Okay, so do that for me right now. See, what John is saying here in those two verses is that we need to test Christianity because Christianity steps up, stands up to testing. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. See, Christianity is founded on testing. If you don't believe me, let me give you some, some ideas here to think about, to ponder about. If you go back to when Jesus was resurrected, the women that were there was saying that Jesus' tomb was empty. And what did they do? They didn't just cut, stand up and start praising God with their faith, did they? They started questioning what was happening. It prompted questions. It gave in, uh, investigation and exploration to what was happening. Some disciples didn't even believe what they heard, so they ran to the tomb themselves to, for, to see for their own eyes what was going on. You remember doubting Thomas? What did he do? He didn't believe until he stuck his fingers into the holes, did he? See, that's the way it's been, not just in Bible times, but down through the centuries of Christianity. It's dangerous to accept uncritically everything that is said in the name of God. Did you hear what I said? It's dangerous just because somebody says in the name of God to accept what they're saying. Christ followers have always believed in the tests of authenticity. That's why John says to go ahead and test the spiritual offerings that are being placed out there. 
Don't just accept it, accept it for face value. Test it. Make sure that if somebody's saying that they're, they're from God, that they really are from God. Don't be so naive, he's saying, to think that just because somebody claims to have the Spirit of God, that they really do have the Spirit of God. See, the claims of Jesus Christ and his gospel can stand up to our tests that we place for smart spirituality while other religions and people cannot you know, I occasionally like to watch the, the TV show Antique Road Show. Do you, anybody ever see that show? And it, I find it pretty interesting because there's a lot of historical artifacts that come on there. And if you haven't seen it, what it is is people are bringing these family heirlooms or stuff that they bought at auction or what have you that are antique. And they hope they, as they bring it to this appraiser, the appraiser says it's worth a uh, value of something that somehow they became this overnight millionaire so to speak. Well, Ken Farmer is one of the appraisers that's on there, and uh, he was on this uh, show, and he, he actually tells about a, a story about this woman who came to him uh, to get something appraised. And he says, well, he was in an appraisal session with this woman. This woman came with this, this wooden case labeled Vampire Killing Kit. And she bought it at an auction in New Orleans for $1,500. And she, she thought she had this aged treasure. It came with a wooden stake, a pistol, and these bullets that seemed to be silver. And, well, Farmer knew right away what was going on. There was a muddy varnish that was on the stake, but it was applied to make it look old. An expert looked at, you know, an expert that was uh, on, uh, on books and manuscripts, well, they determined that the label that was placed on the, the box was made actually from a laser printer. And Farmer noticed that the dividers in the case, well, they showed nowhere. So when a woman got the news that her kit was worth nothing, uh, well, she started uh, cussing a blue streak, as Ken Farmer says. See, what I'm trying to get at here is that some collectibles and antiques are really not what they appear to be. And that's the same thing when we label something spiritual. Just because it's sold in the Christian bookstore doesn't make it Christian. Did you know that? Everything is not always what it's represented to be. So how are we as Christians, as Bible-believing, truth-speaking Christians, I hope you are, how are we to know and tell what is genuine? How are we supposed to be spiritually smart? Well, there really is only one way. We have to test the various forms of spirituality to actually discover whether or not they're true. If we are going to invest in antiques, I think all of us would want to know if that antique is truly authentic. And the same thing is true spiritually. Only this time, the investment is much more costly. Our spiritual fulfillment in life and our eternal destiny, either in heaven or in hell, is determined whether or not we're following a spiritual path that is authentic. And after John makes his statement, 
telling us to be able to test the various teachers of spirituality, he then spells out some of the experiments that we need to perform in our daily lives. But we need to understand, though, that the things that John mentions here in 1 John chapter 4, it's not an exhaustive list. There's much more in, in, in Scripture throughout Scripture that gives us several more gauges on how to test spirituality. But John tests, gives us, uh, that, give, that John gives us here is especially helpful to the theme that you and I are following this morning, and that is, am I living a life that matters? So we, so far we looked at three axioms of spiritual fulfillment in life. And we cannot live spiritually fulfilling lives without fellowship, without love, and without righteousness. Remember those? We talked about it the last three weeks. Well, today as we start to study 1 John chapter 4, we're going to add another word. And that word is truth. We need to add the word truth. Just like we cannot lead a spiritually fulfilling life without fellowship or love or righteousness, we cannot enjoy what God has planned for us, has created for us to enjoy without truth. We cannot experience all that God wants us to experience without truth. See, truth is the battleground in the unseen spiritual warfare that rages around us every single day. Remember, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is guarding our hearts, but the world attacks our minds. And where is the, the, the truth in our, in our spiritual armor? It's the helmet of truth. See, God doesn't just put things in Bible, by the way. Do you see that? You see there's a reason for all of this? So 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 tells us uh, what John says to the early Christ followers. And it says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do you see that? See, we live in a culture that leans toward a worldview that's called postmodernism. I know that's a big word for us sometimes, but we need to use big words sometimes. Amen? What postmodernism is, it's a philosophy that says absolute truth does not exist. Do you hear what I said? See, supporters of postmodernism deny those long-standing beliefs, those conventions that maintain that all viewpoints are equally valid somehow. One of the weaknesses of this worldview is the supposition of truth being relative. In other words, truth may be one thing to you and another to somebody else. That's what postmodernism is. But I need you to understand something. When we say that the postmodernists say truth is relative, we're not talking that we can't have a difference in, say, our antiques and our, the color we want to put in our house and all those things. Those are opinions. That's not what we're talking about. Those are perfectly acceptable as a matter of fact, diversity of taste and style, well, it originated with God. If you don't believe me, I read the other day that there were over 300 different forms of butterflies. If that's not variety, I don't know what is. 
See, you cannot say that that God doesn't love variety just based on some of those things. He expressed great diversity when he made you and me. But when postmodernists talk about the, uh, the relativity of truth, they're referring to right and wrong. They're talking about absolute statements like the one we just read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. They say things like, what gives John the right to say that we are of God? That he who knew, he knows God hears us. That he who is not of God does not hear us. What gives him the right to say by this? We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They say that kind of talk is intolerant. But it's not actually, is it? It's just us being spiritually smart. I'm no more intolerant as an appraiser telling somebody that their vampire killing kit is fake. I know it may upset somebody at first to tell somebody that what they believe is wrong, but it's something that they need to know. The answer to that excellent question of what gives John the right to say, he who knows God hears us, is in that word, us. Underline that. He who knows God hears us. Circle that us right there. When John is saying us in that verse, he's referring to the apostles. Why? Because they were the men who followed Jesus' on-earth ministry closely and intimately for the three and a half years that Jesus conducted it. Well, how do you know that, Brother Nick? Well, let me show you. Remember how John opened up this letter three weeks ago when we read it? Flip back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. See, John could back up his teaching and he could use the word us in that verse because he could prove that it came from God the Father. And that it, that it was God in the flesh walking from him, walking with him. He could prove it because many of those miraculous signs that Jesus performed, including his own resurrection, John got to see with his own eyes. He could prove it because of the fulfillment of all those numerous Old Testament prophecies that he learned from when he was a little boy and he saw Jesus fulfilling them. And do you remember what the end of uh, the book of John the Gospel says? There's not enough. He did so many more miraculous signs that there's not enough room to be able to contain it. So he said he saw much more than you and I even know. See, he could prove it because God's word carries life-changing weight. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. So everything that is packaged and presented as spiritual truth that we hear, that we see, that we read, it must pass muster by comparing it to the truth that Jesus Christ passed on to us through his apostles. For instance, the first test that that we must pass in order for the the spirituality uh, to be true 
And for us to live lives that matter, well, that first test that needs to pass is the credibility test. It must pass the credibility test. Is Jesus really God in human flesh as he states? Or is he, de- uh, is he deceived or is he a deceiver? You know, there's two major errors out there that exist about Jesus Christ, and you've probably heard them. One say that Jesus is not God's son. He was simply a good man, that he was simply a good teacher. He was a good deeds doer. They say that Jesus, well, he really wasn't God, and they hold on to that view. But the problem is with that viewpoint, if Jesus was not the Son of God, as he clearly claimed himself to be, then either he was certifiable or, or he was a perpetrator of a very clever hoax, wasn't he? And I'll tell you what, if he was either one of those two things, well, then he couldn't be good, could he? The other error that's out there is that Jesus was God, but he didn't come in the form of a human body. What this implies is that Jesus was man and, and had uh, the God principle within him. But once again, this would be inconsistent with the claims that Jesus Christ made. I mean, they're both wrong according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 that says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. But why does it matter so much that Jesus Christ had truly come in human body? Well, the simple answer, I could give you a long theological session on this, but I won't. The simple answer is that if Jesus came only as a spirit and not in human form, well, then he could never become our savior, could he? Because he couldn't be on a a substitute on the cross up on Skull Hill. Being spiritually smart means we have to sift through and see see through all the man-made attempts to discredit Jesus Christ being the God-man. And if Jesus is not in God in the flesh, well, then he can't be Lord. If you believe he was God but not man or man but not God, Well, I'm going to tell you straight up, you might as well not follow him. Because following that kind of Savior is useless. This is an undeniable tenet of the scriptures of the early church. And our church, Central Baptist Church, today. Jesus is God in the flesh. I can't make it any clearer. Even the Apostle Paul taught the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that says, For in Him, remember what I talked to you last week? Capital H means it's, it's God, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, right? For in Him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Does it say most? Does it say some? It says all. Let me read it from a different translation. You know how sometimes we can read it from a different translation. It helps us better understand. The New Living Translation puts it this way. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All the fullness 
not some of the fullness, not some of the tendencies, all the fullness. You can't make it any clearer than that. See, the truth is that Jesus is the God-man. Not because Pastor Nick says it. Not because the Southern Baptists believe it. But because Jesus proved it. Amen. 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 And since Jesus is God, I think his word is credible. Do you? (laughs) Which means that you and I can follow Jesus with the utmost confidence in life. We have to believe this if we're going to be spiritually smart with truth and live lives that matter. The second test of authenticity is this. It's the language test. The language test. What do we mean by that? What do we mean by the language test? Does Jesus tell us that we need to uh, hear or, or, or what we need to hear? See, what kind of language does the Bible use to tell us about God's plans for our lives? Do we use other systems of spirituality to tell us what we want to hear or need to hear? Or are we looking at Scripture? Are we looking from the truth, the perfect truth? Don't even look at me. Please don't ever just look at me. I hope I'm relaying the truth of God, but find out the, God, the truth of God yourself. You must do that. You know, one of the hallmarks of false religion and false spirituality is dece- deceptive and ambiguous language. Look at what John says about this in verse 4 and 5. He says, You are of God, little children. And have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. See that difference right there? Them, those people, they, not us. At least we shouldn't. You know, have you ever heard the question, if Christianity is the only true religion, then how come there's so many others? Have you ever heard that question? Well, what we just read tells us why. That people listen for what they want to hear. So when somebody tickles your ear, you best find out, is it from God or is it not? Because God's word doesn't always lift up our spirits. Because God's word should tear us down from what we're doing wrong too. And then build us back up. Have you ever seen somebody go into the military? What's the first thing they do? They go to boot camp. Why? Because the, the, the military needs to tear them down from all their modes of thinking and start building them back up to start thinking the way they need them to think. This is what we happens with God. Look at 2 Timothy 4.3. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Oh, I just said that, didn't I? They will heap up for themselves teachers 
Now let's go back to the analogy I talked about earlier about the antiques and collectibles just for a moment. It's easy for us to be able to get, get sucked into buying something that's fake when you hear such good stories about it. Maybe it's not just about antiques. Maybe you're one of our young folks and you love to have some AirPods and you see that Facebook, Instagram, whatever post that says, oh, you can get it for $30. Do you really think those are real? For 30 bucks when Apple sells them for 200 See, we need to be able to go back and find the truth because there's stories out there that are so well-crafted that you want to believe the unbelievable without necessarily having credible evidence to be able to support it. That's how scams come about each and every day. And it's not just for young folks. You hear it all the time from older folks. We need to be careful. And I have to say something here about what the, word, uh, what the world thinks about that word faith. You know, there's a story about a man who had a brain aneurysm and he doesn't know whether he's seeing things because of the aneurysm or because God is actually sending him visions. So his mentor and his acupuncturist uh, told him that's what faith is. Faith is believing without evidence. But I want to stand before you right now and tell you that's not totally true. What's, that's, what, that's what blind faith is. And blind faith is what John is telling us to avoid. He doesn't want us to walk into things with blind faith. Blind faith is precisely what causes a lot of people to follow false teaching. My collectibles analogy is this. Let me give it to you. I was watching Pawn Stars. Anybody ever watch that? And people go into pawn shop, collectibles again, and you hear a lot of historical value about that. And I love hearing about some of the history that's involved in some of the items they bring. Well, in this one episode, there was somebody who brought a, a copy of Tom Sawyer, and it was signed by the author Mark Twain. And after further inspection, it turned out the, that the signature was a very good forgery. Well, the owner of the shop uh, asked the person attempting to sell this book why he bought the book without knowing if that signature was authentic or, or a forgery. And he goes on and says, you wouldn't believe the great story this guy told. Uh, uh, the, uh, plus, it was a steal at buying it at $500. Well, of course it was a steal. The guy stole $500 from you. See, don't let somebody steal your soul by telling you that the story about Jesus is a lie or giving you some forgery attempt that you have to add to what Scripture is telling you to do or that you have to have this instead of that. Look at Scripture. Don't let anyone steal your peace with God by telling you there's another way to God and heaven besides going through Jesus Christ. Because I don't know what your Bible says, but mine says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And who spoke that? Jesus Christ. No one else. Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus is the only God-man. 
He's the only Savior because he's the one who died on a cross. He's the one that was buried and he was the one that rose again and it doesn't even stop there. He's the one that sits and sits in heaven right now at the right hand of God interceding for your religious liberty. Amen. So I'm getting on a, a, a rant here. I love it. Let me give you one more test before I have a heart attack. In addition to credibility tests, in addition to the language tests, in order for us to be able to live lives that matter with truth, we must go through the love test. We must go through the love test. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but John talks a lot about love in this letter. We've only read four chapters, and all four chapters spoke a lot about love. Did you notice that? And we already saw some of what John uh, tried to bring to us in chapter 2. And that's actually one of our axioms to spiritually uh, living a life that matters. And you can't experience a life that matters without love. Do you remember that two weeks ago? And, but John reinforces this fact in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Excuse me. But... It, That's the wrong scripture up there. I apologize about that. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He does not love, does not know God for God is love. Do you hear that? And by the way, this is a perfect example why I want you to open up your Bibles on yourself. I make mistakes and that's the wrong scripture. So read God's word for yourself. Please, it's that important. He who does not love does not know God. John is giving you and me, he's giving all of us a way to know if what we're practicing is the real deal. John says, if we're not loving others, then we don't know God. We cannot possibly know God if we're just not loving others because God is love. Take that to the bank. But John doesn't stop there, does he? He continues in verse 9 and 9 through 11, and he tells us, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Amen. I think I can be pretty confident when I say that all of us has had problems with this, with this part one time or another throughout our lives. Every single one of us. Some of us have just not loved the way we're supposed to love to, towards somebody else at one time or another. It's hard sometimes to love someone who doesn't act, who doesn't speak, who doesn't think like you and me. It's even harder to love someone that hurt us in some way, isn't it? But if God loves us so much that no matter who we are, that he still came on earth to die for you, to die for me, then you and I need to be able to love one another. Even if they act differently. Even if they can't understand them. Even if the other person thinks that Donald Trump or Joe Biden is better than the other. 
Even when our spouse cheats on us, even when our best friend uh, crosses us, even when somebody physically hurts us, even when we need, all, we need to love one another, shouldn't we? Even when we ought to love one another. So ask yourselves today, am I spiritually smart? Does the spirituality that I live by pass the tests? Can I say my God is like Jesus? Can my God stand up to the test of true authenticity like Jesus did and does? Did my God die for my sins and then rise again? To be able not just give us an outlet, but to prove his authenticity that he's eternal? Does my form of spirituality tell me what I want to hear or what I need to hear? Does the way I'm living now include love for God and love for others? Am I living a life that matters with truth? Maybe you're here today and maybe you're deciding that your current form of spirituality isn't meeting those tests. I want to encourage you something. We're about to go to our invitation time. And when we do, come down the side aisles and leave it at the cross. We have kneeling benches here. You can kneel at them. You can sit in the front pew. But either way, Jesus is inviting you to be able to trust him today. So would you do that? Why do we come forward? We don't come forward to be able to point at you or make fun of you. Because that's not the love of God, is it? We, come, we want you to come forward so we can be able to support you to pray for you, to hold you up when you're falling, to know that you have a brother or sister that loves you. So come forward today. Forget about how you feel about being nervous or shy. Do it. Do it. It's time. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching us online. And you need Jesus Christ as your Savior because you haven't been following Jesus the Christ but you've been following something else. I'll tell you, none of us know when we're going to pass. It happens suddenly. And there's no age limit. There's no barrier of who can have it. Everybody passes. And we never know when that time's going to be. So make that choice today to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here, come forward. You can come here and I'll pray with you. I'll tell you how to do that. But don't leave here today without doing so. If you're online, give me a call. I'll be able to do that with you. 772-249-2463. Call me. I don't care who you are. You don't have to be part of this church. I'll talk to you. Well, but maybe you're here today and maybe you've been coming for a while and maybe you never made that decision to become a member of this church. I want to offer that opportunity to you as well. I ask that you come forward. There's only two requirements to be a member of this church. You must have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior into your heart, not in your head. 
in your heart. And you must have been baptized by full immersion. That's our two requirements. If, that's, if you have and you want to be a member of this church, we encourage you to come forward during this time. But either way, we must ask ourselves, am I living a life that matters with truth? Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at PastorNickCentralBaptistPSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. Mm-hmm.